the three Tenenbaum children performed Margot's first play on the night of her 11th birthday. They had agreed to invite their father to the party. What'd you think, Dad? Mm, didn't seem believable to me. Why are you wearing pajamas? Do you live here? He has permission to sleep over. Well, did you at least think the characters were well-developed? What characters? There's a bunch of little kids there dressed up in the animal costumes. Good night, everyone. Well, sweetie, don't be mad at me. That's just one man's opinion. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 77, The Royal Tenenbaums. This is a big one. Yeah, this is not a listener request, folks. No. We're back, you know, doing what we want to do for yeah. a change. Although, this one, although um, we will be doing the listener requests again. On early <laughs> lists, always have been a little tentative to actually dive into it. Yeah, we've somehow managed to go 77 episodes without talking about a Wes Anderson movie, even though he's probably my favorite filmmaker, or (laughs) at least one of them, in the top couple. Uh, Between the two of us, there are several copies of his movies floating around this place. Yeah. Well, we don't own the Grand Budapest, because we're still waiting for that Criterion release. (laughs) But other than that... We're covered. Well, if you listen to that New Jersey episode, there was almost sort of a... Well, there was talks of kind of a repeat of that when uh, WrestleMania was in Dallas and you were going <laughs> to go to the hotel from uh, Bottle Rocket. Yeah. Even though it doesn't really look like it anymore. No. Not the same. Still would have been cool, though. <laughs> would it have been? Well... <laughs> I think that whole thing would have turned real sad. Yeah, well, it might have been similar to uh, the plot of Bottle Rocket if you could find a room uh, service chick that, <laughs> whatever they're called. A maid? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't like to use that term. That didn't speak English, obviously. In okay. Marriage. Um. Yeah, so a lot of big things happening right now with the Greatest Moments podcast. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're in the midst of I'm these, looking at you wide-eyed. What, what are <laughs> these things? We're in the midst of these listener requests, which, you know, we're going to sprinkle in here and there from here on out. You know, we'll, we'll be still doing some of our own. And uh, I think it's time to take this show to the next level. Oh. I think it's it's time we introduced a Patreon <laughs> for our loyal ass clowns. Right. And what we can offer is Patreon-exclusive episodes. Oh. We're going to do audio commentaries for Fifty Shades of Grey, <laughs> Fifty Shades Darker, and eventually Fifty Shades Freed when that gets released 
on home video Holy after shit. a brief theatrical run. So more information will be forthcoming on that. I can't wait. Yeah, it's I'm excited just to know we'll be watching the third Fifty Shades movie. Because obviously we've already watched the first two. Right. Quite a ride. Oh, yeah. And I think our ass clowns, our ass clowns, <laughs> will really uh, enjoy They need to hear our, our thoughts on this, obviously. Yeah, me complaining that it's not hardcore enough. <laughs> <laughs> and so to go along with that theme... Uh, we're also we're borrowing another page from other podcast book playbooks here. Uh, I think it's time we also do a listener meetup. Yeah, I think that would be an good. ass clown convention. I do if think you will. there's a lot of demand for it. Certainly, so, New Year's Eve, <laughs> <laughs> BBT, <laughs> the bar in closest proximity to the apartment. I would say our apartment, but I just I don't think there's enough room for all the ass clowns. No. Right. For our legions of ass Plus, clowns. I mean, you got to keep a close eye on that Blu-ray collection. Yeah, I get really uptight. You can't just be having people. I don't like up when people in are here. around. No, yeah, <laughs> it gets me really uptight. Right. Uh, so yeah, more information on that as well. I'm thinking morning of New Year's Eve. This is even bigger <laughs> news than the announcement of a uh, upcoming group text that I'm going to be involved in. <laughs> yeah. There will be a big holiday movie season, award season movie group text that I'm planning on starting. So many things happening. I'd also really. like to take a moment now to both comment on and address an ongoing situation. Uh-oh. I don't think we've mentioned this on the pod before, but a big development in my life Uh-oh. has been the... Lowering of the price of Movie Pass to nine ninety five or whatever a month. You basically can go to a movie every day, whatever. I'm not promoting it, so look it up yourselves. It's whatever. <laughs> um, so I signed up. Obviously, when they it used to be like fifty bucks, and now they lowered it to ten. That's basically the price of one movie. So I mean, why wouldn't you sign up if you go to more than one movie a month? You know, the initial sign up, the the app and the website was all crashing because so many people were trying to do it. I think some people still haven't even received their cards yet. Well, um, I have used it successfully a few times. Now I tried to use it not to see a movie necessarily, but well, yeah, you got to do a test run. I did a test run once, but. Aside from that, I've used it successfully a right. couple times. Uh, so I tried to use it this weekend, and on Saturday night, well, I mean, whatever. The specific right. day doesn't matter, Some I guess. Night. And the app like wouldn't work, and it just didn't work. It wouldn't load. And so I ended up having to pay out of pocket for Oh, no. And it turns out, I mean, I will say... Did we it, see that coming ever? It turns out that... Other people were experiencing it, and then they did address it, and you can like send a copy of your thing, your receipt or whatever, for a refund. But are you gonna do that? No, because <laughs> it seems like too much. Work. I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy that they at least addressed it. Well, the big news is they they lowered the price. Basically, if you pay for a full year up front, you can get it for basically six ninety five a month. Whoa! So I'm it's basically like there. ninety bucks. You have to do it for the full year though to get the six ninety five. But it's basically like ninety bucks or whatever for the entire year. Oh, all right. But I don't know. I, I 
I feel like this is a good thing because I've already used it a couple times. I know it's capable of working, but it's also like if the app doesn't work again, it's like, I mean, I feel like I might have to cancel it because it's just ridiculous. Using it to pre-order tickets, how does that work? You can't use it to pre-order tickets. You have to go to the theater. That sucks. I feel well, like, then it has no value to I me. I feel like we've been over this. Like, I know. You have well, to go. You have to be within a certain amount of space of the theater. For I don't the, understand like, why, if it has like a Mastercard logo on it, why it can't just be used as if it's a card. Well, I guess you could just then like use it anywhere. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if you like preloaded it to buy a ticket. But then you just took it and like used it at a gas station to buy something if it would work. I don't know. If the amount of money is still It the might same. work like a HSA card where you can only use it at certain merchants. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. But, yeah, I would just say that I was disappointed that uh, it was... Exp- I feel like it was the day after they announced this price change, so maybe a lot more people were... Or this special offer. Caused so it maybe to people, crash again? Yeah, I don't know, but whatever. All right, so movie pass, jury's still out. Right. It's an ongoing <laughs> saga. It's an ongoing grading system. Right. I feel like I, <laughs> if I can use it successfully like a couple more times, then I, I'll probably feel happy with it. Yep. All right, so let's get down to Royal Tenenbaums. I think people are eagerly anticipating our thoughts. Yeah, I would think. Uh, I think this is maybe my favorite movie. Maybe. It's certainly up there for me as well. I mean... The two Wes Anderson, I think we talk about it, that always jump up head and shoulders above everything else, even though we still really like them, is this one in Rushmore. Yeah, the scripts of these two movies, every line is like a masterpiece. (laughs) It's just so perfectly put together. It's unbelievable. Like, just, I I don't know. Like, it just blows my mind sometimes, like, the dialogue in these movies, especially Royal Tenenbaums, where it's like, it seems like if you were going to write this out as a script, it would take forever because it's just like every, it just seems like so much thought is put into every line oh, yeah. to have like these double meanings and like, you know, should be pointed out too. uh, one of the movies where the clip in the intro is featured, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Owen Wilson who co-wrote this movie, right. just so, perfectly cast as just a, <laughs> just a doofus <laughs> just like a needy pathetic loser oh yeah <laughs> a lot of like uh needy pathetic losers populating the world of the tenenbaums though which is kind of you know it's kind of reoccurring uh character trait in wes anderson scripts slash movies altogether. yeah um so this one I saw this in the theater, believe it or not. I'm that old, people. <laughs> I did not see it in the theater. I was seeing uh, awards contenders R-rated movies way back in 2001. <laughs> so Actually, that gives you a little window I into my life. I first watched this on Comedy Central, which as much as I hate watching uh, movies on cable, that's where I first saw it. They used to run Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums like, all the time. Yeah, well, this one, I mean, there's not a lot of uh, profanity or anything. That's so true. it's not like a lot would have to be edited out. I mean, it is rated R, but it's not right. like a hard R yeah. or anything. Commercials, though. Just yeah, well, that's yeah. always annoying. Right. Um, 
But I, I think I did buy the Criterion Collection DVD of this, which kind of it looked like oh, a yeah, book I had almost. It too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I got it like used at like a half price book Eagle video back oh. when giant eagle had video and then wow. they were like kind of shutting it down yeah, how old are you <laughs> <laughs> i mean do we need to talk about me renting like wrestling videotapes from eagle video <laughs> well, we certainly do not at this juncture but okay so the movie opens with like kind of a long um long music number yeah narrated uh montage of the three tenenbaum children kind of like growing up and kind of were planting the seeds of their dysfunction. Yeah, dealing with the hells that they were dealing with as children. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like this idea of like the three children being like geniuses and prodigies and kind of precocious in semi-obnoxious ways and kind of their fall from grace primarily due to uh, their parents' marriage dissolving and kind of other their father just neuroses. being a complete piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, um, kind of like a real memorable performance from Gene Hackman. Uh, completely different from pretty much every other yeah role that he he's ever done. I mean, I guess he was definitely reticent to accept the role, even though I guess as Wes Anderson would say later, like he wrote the part for him kind of without his knowledge you know he just like wrote this for gene hackman not really knowing if he he would have any interest or you know if they could get him to do it or whatever and i guess hackman's agent got him to do it um and you know apparently he wasn't like the easiest person to deal with on set (laughs) he seems like he could be tough (laughs) but you know they got through it uh you know which kind of brings you know up not well maybe i shouldn't go there but (laughs) oh no well i was just thinking like sometimes you know people are difficult and you have to kind of get through it but like a lot of times whether it's like you know stories of studio interference and like executives not knowing what they're talking about and and interfering or george clooney punching david o russell in the face right or Whatever, or actors being difficult, or whatever it is, a lot of times, you know, what comes out of it is great and memorable, and it's kind of like the war stories kind of add to the legend of the thing. Other times, you end up with just a funny video of Christian Bale freaking out on (laughs) Terminator Salvation, which is a movie no one cares about or remembers. Oh, right. (laughs) But, you know, it's just like, whenever it does... What are you doing? (laughs) Whenever it does come together, it's... uh, it can kind of like be a special thing, and I I think this I I, I do I know Gene Wilder was someone that they were thinking about if they couldn't get Hackman. I can't remember who the other one was. Maybe like Dustin Hoffman I'm or somebody. Kind of, I'm a little surprised they didn't just consider Bill Murray for it. I mean, he seems like he could have pulled it off. Yeah, I I I agree. Maybe there was some. It seems like they didn't want him playing basically the same character from Rushmore. Right, I I do think that like part of it, part of the the uh, the lore of this film is kind of the workaround of like the schedules of some of the people in it, like Ben Stiller and and Gwyneth Paltrow, like really weren't even available for very long, so they had oh, to like, really? do all of their stuff all at once or whatever um, to get it done. And so I'm wondering if maybe Bill Murray's availability at the time wasn't 
high. I don't know. This is probably his most kind of throwaway performance in one of these movies. Or I guess maybe Darjeeling Limited, which he's barely in, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know I, if you can count Darjeeling Yeah, I know. Limited. His character just doesn't really have a lot of great moments in this. He's got a couple, but... I, yeah, well, I think it's kind of an understated, funny performance. Yeah. Um, I mean, his interactions with Richie, certainly good. His interactions with Dudley, great. Yeah, I mean, he plays uh, kind of... Gwyneth Paltrow's beleaguered husband. Gwyneth is the adopted daughter. He's having of the a tough time, <laughs> <laughs> kind of holding the household together. Yeah, I mean, in truth, you know, once we skip forward to the, like the quote-unquote present, the the Tenenbaum kids, now adults, are all pretty miserable in the lives that they are living. Uh, Margot's married to uh, Raleigh St. Clair, played by Murray, and. It's seemingly a loveless marriage. And oh yeah, she's, she's out all day in the bathtub. Yeah, essentially, she's made a cuckold of him, as he points out, several times. <laughs> Which is the part that you enjoy? Yeah, just a dream, really. <laughs> I Rich- will say, I mean, but now that Gwyneth Paltrow has been brought up, good lord! I mean, Margot Tenenbaum. Yeah, I got it bad. Who I mean, who doesn't? Though? I know. I mean, it's kind of like a. It's just like the beauty with the missing finger and the depression. <laughs> oh, what a dream! Who doesn't love a missing finger? Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, and just like kind of the mean way that she treats her husband. Oh you know, yeah, like right just up your so alley. Just so dismissive. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Richie, who is in love with Margot, which a, that seems to be sister. really his only flaw outside of that. I mean, he's the one kind of, I mean, aside from his struggle with his own dis- depression, which uh, is growing from this whole weird, lifelong love that he carries for his uh, adopted sister. Yeah, I mean, he was a tennis prodigy. That's pretty much all that he's given as far as like his backstory. He's not really... But I mean, he seems to have kind of a good heart. He cares about his uh, dad... I guess we're supposed to understand here that the reason he's close with his dad and the others aren't is because his dad actually acted proud of him because he had something tangible early on. Right. They're definitely like, uh, yeah, I mean, out of the three, uh, Richie was like the only one that seemingly bonded as a child with Royal um, at all, where the other two were kind of left out and Royal, you know, was constantly pointing out that Margot was adopted, which <laughs> I definitely love. leads you to wonder why they adopted Margot in the first place. Right. Especially whenever later on at, at the uh, cemetery, whenever uh, Chaz's kids, Uzi and Ari, are asking Margot what happened to her finger, and you kind of get that flashback to when she was like a teenager and she's with her family and they're like, Amish or something yeah I don't know lumberjacks they're on a farm and you know she gets her finger cut off with an axe by accident and it's seemingly like a weird situation like why was she put up for adoption how did she end up I know because they have a whole family because she's from like Indiana right and you know the Tenenbaums are living in New York City I kind of get the sense that uh Mrs. Tenenbaum Angelica Huston is just into sort of some Strange hobbies, I guess. And just kind of very full of herself with the whole, we got a homeschool, right? <laughs> Did that happen? Yeah, I think um, 
she's obviously way more nurturing and, and hands-on, but at the same time, she kind of just is, you can kind of see evidence of kind of not really knowing how to be a parent. She's just yeah. writing checks. Some of the things she's the doing seem no sort of self-indulgent to her. Right. I mean, it's kind of, you kind of don't really, I, it's hard to like relate to something like this because it's, it's kind of foreign from, you know, my own experience, but it's just <laughs> Quite like... foreign, yeah. <laughs> they're living in this kind of big house in New York City that's like stuck out of time and, you know, Royal leaves when the kids are still pretty young and, you know, she's raising them, but like kind of in a distractedly kind of... I, I don't know. She's still like... She obviously loves them and she's like kind of trying to nurture their genius or in their various things like you know Chaz has like this business math mind and he also you know bred these Dalmatian mice or whatever and <laughs> Margot is this uh young playwright writing plays at like an early age not unlike um Jason Schwartzman's ca- character in Rushmore and then oh, yeah. all we really know about Richie is that he's kind of a failed like, artist but also a world-class tennis player right Kind of modeled after um, which one Borg? I guess. Uh, I don't know. I don't know Borg. Yeah, Borg and Matt. You know, out of I, I can't don't know. Think of his first name. I don't know anything about tennis. Me people. neither. All right, sorry. If you want a tennis podcast, just search tennis, please. <laughs> Get off our backs. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we we don't know Borg is. <laughs> There's that movie out with like right now. It's like Borg McEnroe. Oh, okay. He was McEnroe. the other guy. Yeah, I know who McEnroe is. Well, I think there was a guy who was like really like a young tennis prodigy See, who know... kind of like flamed out. Oh, okay. At an early age, I only know like the Sampras Agassi years and then uh, Nadal Federer, Serena Williams. Yeah, who just got married. Um, so where are we at? So now in in their present day lives, everything's kind of crumbling well royal i guess we're we've come into his life at a time where he's kind of run out of money yeah well everything's gone he's been disbarred after some legal troubles involving Chaz taking money from his son (laughs) and yeah he's getting he's been living in a hotel just living the dream for a while pretty much getting massages daily sing sing or whatever her name is right and uh which yeah, we have to imagine something sexual going on with those <laughs> massages, I'm sure. He has kind of a full-time hang-around assistant, Pagoda. Well, Pagoda still works at the Tenenbaum house. Oh, that's true, yeah. Oh, he's, that's yeah, like, he's like a double agent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chaz's wife dies in a plane crash, which you know happens before the events of the film. So his life is kind of in disarray, and now he's consumed with this idea of trying to protect his two sons uh, in an kind of insane living in sort way. of this uh wild luxury apartment in manhattan which doesn't seem comfortable or right like a place people would actually live uh, <laughs> so he's kind of the first one to pack up and decide he's coming home he just shows up it's uh i don't know bridge night or backgammon night at yeah. the tenenbaum house Ethelene is hosting uh bridge night at the house and chaz shows up saying that he's getting uh, a sprinkler system ins- installed in the apartment. And she's <laughs> Which, like, well, I don't think there's sprinklers here. <laughs> and he's like, well, we might have to do something about that. Yeah. 
but offers no other explanation as to why they're staying there. <laughs> Uh, so he shows up with his two sons, and then when Margot finds out, <laughs> she's That's jealous. That's not fair. Yeah. He's like, why does he get to do that? Right. So she... She's like, well, I'm coming home too then. Annou- yeah, she announces to Raleigh that she has to take some time away from the marriage, which you know he doesn't really take well. <laughs> no. And then um, that's, I guess, uh, when Royal finds out about uh, Henry Sherman played... Or is it Sherman? Yeah, I believe so. Played by uh, Danny Glover, who is Ethelene's accountant and is now kind of... A uh, suitor. Moving in on her. Right. He's making making a a move. move. Yeah. And so, Royal... He doesn't like that. Yeah, he, A, has nowhere to live, and B, doesn't really... He's still technically married to Ethelene, even though they've been separated for 22 years. 20 years years or something, yeah. Or whatever. Which, it is shocking that he would actually be jealous about this but it seems like he genuinely is well it kind of plays he doesn't like to lose well yeah i mean it kind of plays into the whole idea of the film in a way which is kind of like these characters this family that is really just kind of caught up in their own nostalgia oh yeah for a time and a place that wasn't that great anyway right and you know, it all kind of fits the aesthetic of the film. I mean, the clothes they wear, the the way that their house looks, the music that's used throughout the film, and just kind of, you know, this idea of like, uh, all you know, with all the fake books, like the books being published by all these people and the books look like they're from the 70s. Like, everything is like kind of stuck in this weird, almost 70s kind of look, but it's yeah. kind of supposed to be in... Uh, modern day a lot of the descriptions that you'll read online you know refer to it as like a new york that never quite existed because it's you know like there's these made-up things like the 375th street y and then like the gypsy taxi cab company which is you know not a real thing but they have things called you know gypsy cabs or whatever at least they used to i don't know if they still do but which were basically just cars but like they call the company that, and they all look like beat up yeah, taxis it's and everything. This weird kind of combination of glamorous and generic at the same time. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the 70s. Yeah, was <laughs> great. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the, even the idea of like you know their neighbor who was friends with Richie growing up, Eli Cash, played by Owen Wilson. He's One of the great like this, characters, really. Even like this idea that he's like a quote unquote like literary celebrity. It's like his only claim to fame really is that he was friends with Richie and by extension the family and has this sort of insight to the world that. Uh, well, I mean, I think you're maybe short selling his novels a little bit. Yeah, you think the so? The second one seemed like it was successful. All right, <laughs> people are really interested on his. I heard that they modeled like the basic idea. Of his character after Cormac McCarthy. Oh, is that true? Who wrote, like, No Country for Old yeah. Men and a lot of other... Well, I think just the idea of, like, a westerny kind of writer. But, I mean, his... The novel, like, at the center of his story in this film is Old Custer. Which <laughs> everyone knows uh, Custer died at Little Bighorn. But this what this novel presupposes is maybe he didn't. <laughs> He's just like this pretentious ass. And right. I mean, uh, hooked you know, on drugs, too. I think in the audio commentary, 
Wes Anderson comments that like the fringy uh, suede jacket that he's wearing that looks, looks awful, like, by the way, like vaguely cowboyish is like a three thousand dollar jacket, and he's like wearing all this expensive stuff that like real cowboys would like never wear, right. but he thinks he's like you know cultivating that look and being like a cowboy and stuff and even like at the end of the film when he's in rehab and he's talking (laughs) to those people he's like the wind is really kicking up a gale today it's just like such an ass now in the time since uh they were kids and richie's had his meltdown and left town they've they've kept in touch and, and richie's kind of let him know that he's in love with Margot. Yeah, he's confided in him, not knowing that Margot has been having an ongoing affair with Eli Cash recently. Yeah, just kind of a bummer all around, though. You're like, really? <laughs> well, it seems like she's willing to have an affair with just about anybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the main focus of the story is on Royal and his kind of, like, redemption question mark kind of story, but... And it doesn't really get into like the uh, psychology of the other characters, but I mean, I think you could uh, really imagine the issues that Margot has. I mean, she's you like, get details though. She's adopted and then kind of rejected by her adopted that family. So it sort seems of like thrown she's in her face, doubly rejected. Right. <laughs> One the of the whole best. thing where like she wasn't invited out to his mother's uh, grave when they would go to visit it. <laughs> What about whenever, uh, after, when Royal and Ethelene first separate and they invite, the children invite him to Margot's uh, birthday party, which is where they're uh, putting on a performance of the first play <laughs> that she's written, and he's just sitting there criticizing just it. Just trashing the play. <laughs> that part kind of made me have to do like a little self-reflection, though. <laughs> I don't know. What do you mean? I just feel like I would do something like that. I don't think that you would. All right, I hope not. I feel like maybe I I would probably be more likely, even though I don't even think I could do that, okay. sitting there with the person that wrote it, <laughs> especially if it's like your daughter. Well, yeah, <laughs> not even talking, like having a conversation with her. He's just sort of talking out loud and making uh, points about it, but it's really criticisms. <laughs> <laughs> just, just sitting there like, yeah. Um so that's that actually I think that signified like the last time that as when they were children that they invited him around and then kind of just went even further downhill from there. So, you know, Royal is he comes up with this scheme, you know, to well, spring onto Ethelene and then obviously the rest really of the family. We don't really see uh much of the disintegration of his and Ethelene's relationship. There's not much flashback to that. Uh, do they suggest that he was philandering? I believe. Uh, well, yeah, I think so. But I, I think like, um, you know, just the fact that left them all around prick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, he just took off. We do get the scene where he's telling the kids that they're getting a divorce and (laughs) he's like, obviously we had to make certain sacrifices as a result of having you children. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, he wants, he, he, you know, feels like he needs to worm his way back into their lives. So he tells Ethelene that he's been diagnosed with stomach cancer and he only has six weeks to live. And so Ethelene, good hearted as she is. Yeah. I mean, this obviously a blow. 
is you know is a huge kind of event in their lives and kind of shakes things up and it it kind of just it it's kind of like just an interesting uh story to have this kind of all develop you know at this point in their lives like we kind of get like the cliffs notes version of like the childhood and then like the the 22 years in between and everything leading up and then occasionally through various plot devices we get little flashbacks to things that happened in the in the intermittent years but the main focus of the story is just kind of this you know time period right here at, at like this crucial moment where another man has entered the scene and is possibly you know trying to marry Ethelene and also the kids have now all decided to move back in on their own unrelated to anything going on with right. Royal and now all of a sudden Royal's back in the mix although Richie only coming back when he gets the news that Royal's sick correct although he does you know he shows up before Royal officially moves in because he obviously is the one that kind of allows him to oh, move true, back yeah. in which doesn't really make any sense but um obviously you know Chaz is more against Royal oh, from the beginning. Richie immediately. is ready to So open. how long did they give you? <laughs> Whatever. Richie's ready to open his heart immediately, and Margot is indifferent, as usual. Yeah. She doesn't really emote very much. No, she's just happy to be home, I think. <laughs> yeah. She kind of... It's kind of... It, I mean, I guess it fits with the idea of her being adopted, but she always kind of seems like separate from a lot of like the Tenenbaum drama, aside from Richie being in love with her. Right. Which, which I guess she kind of feels the same. Kind of. Yeah. It's just like they kind of, Richie's kind of, even unrelated to her being his adopted sister, he kind of has picked the wrong girl to be in love with because she just right. kind of isn't the type to be normal about feelings and emotions yeah. and stuff and so it's a whole Her reciprocation mess. of love is not great <laughs> well it literally took him slashing his own wrists for her to even uh, react acknowledge at all. it yeah. <laughs> well eli just completely blows up his spot and just tells her at some point <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then when uh richie confronts him <laughs> she eli- told you that <laughs> I wonder why she would do that. <laughs> and Richie's like, well, I could ask you the same thing. Right. Rightfully so. <laughs> Richie always keeping kind of a calm temperament, though. Doesn't really get too angry other than whenever he finds out that Margot's messing around with another dude. Yeah, for some strange reason, I guess because, you know, they were close growing up and they always seem to have a a close relationship Raleigh decides to confide in Richie of all people you know his concerns about Margot and his marriage and everything and Richie does not take the news well that Margot might be having an affair <laughs> right um which I could kind of relate to that I, I remember uh at times in my life where there was uh maybe an ex that I was still hung up on or something and she was either back with her ex-boyfriend or onto a new dude or whatever. But I, I, I'm okay with that. That's fine. But then as soon as there was another dude in the picture, I would be <laughs> losing my mind punching out windows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your history Oof. seems like a lot of rage going oh, on. Oh, yeah. well, I mean, you could kind of see, you know, 
what some parallels right between you and Richie Tenenbaum. Well, I was gonna say, I mean, <laughs> you know, one I will say one isn't just born being into sort of a dismissiveness or cuckolding. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Just disturbing revelations right. here on greatest moments. Well, I mean, it's the same revelations every week. I know. Really. People are continuously disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just think about me. I have to hear these revelations all the time. All right. Well, okay. Well, let's get through this. Let's get to the incest parts for you. There's no... It- <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's no... It- it's not incest. Right. <laughs> Still frowned upon, though. Yeah, I mean, just think about, like... All of that, like, pent-up, you know, sexual frustration, you're just, like, kind of... Because, I mean, I think the implication is that he's basically been in love with her since they were kids. So, I mean, he's just been tortured for all of these years. His promising tennis career thrown away because she got married. Yeah. Everything kind of gone to shit in his life. He... I mean, we talk about him maybe being like the most normal, but he's not. I mean, he's living on a boat doing yeah, nothing. Right. He's just out to sea. I don't it's unexplained even what he's doing out there. <laughs> he hides behind the beard and the sunglasses. Oh yeah. I mean It's a it's a rough life for Richie. <laughs> he's just I, I, I you gotta respect it though. He's just carrying that torch of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably why Richie Tenenbaum is like one of my favorite characters right. of all time. Well, just three profoundly sad characters, really. Yeah. I mean, whatever's going on with Chaz, too. I, it kind of seems like Chaz maybe was maybe was the most normal. He was like married with kids. Right. But and he, then everything went awry when his wife died. That's true. But he's the one that most openly hates Royal. Yeah, he's maybe you could say he's the most in touch with his anger at his father yeah. and thus was able to kind of move on the most from it until real, you know, tragedy in his life kind of brought some <laughs> of, you know, brought some of that anger back out. When you know? Royal uh, first shows up and he's talking about trying to reconnect with the kids and he's like the first thing i thought we'd do is uh go out to the cemetery visit my mother and uh <laughs> richie's like oh rachel or whatever yeah, yeah rachel's out there too and he's like who's rachel <laughs> Jess is like my wife <laughs> yeah and then later at the cemetery he's like oh yeah that's right we got another body over here <laughs> god i mean there's just like a certain detached coolness to like all of the characters, but like Royals, just some of the things that he says are just like unbelievable. Yeah, how great they are. It's just like yeah, he's he is like a terrible father and a bad person, but like goddamn it, if he's not like cool as hell, like he's just so cool at all times. So what do you think is actually going on with this uh, Eli Margot relationship? Now, I th- well, I, I think it, uh, when she later talks to Richie about it, I think yeah. that's kind of the truth. That's her side of it. Do you think Eli is really into it? Or is Eli just into it because he knew Richie was into her? Yeah. I think Seems you, like I think there's some think, of that. Or there. at the very least because he's just kind of... I think the idea is, and it's very brief whenever we get the introduction to Eli as a kid... It, 
he lives in that small apartment with yep. his grandmother. Something. Something. It's just it doesn't seem like you know the Tenenbaums seem to have at least a little bit of money back when they were growing up in like the seventies or whatever. That oh was. yeah, and the notoriety and kind of the fame of this family of geniuses. You know, there's a book about them and everything. And Eli's kind of just like the kid with his face and hands pressed up against the glass watching. Right. And he wants so badly to be a part of it and be in that mix. And so, you know, if sleeping with Margot is just like a little bit of a gateway into it, I don't know. Or, you know. Now, what's going on with that part where she shows up and he's already at the house in his underwear? <laughs> I don't know. That part is so bizarre. <laughs> I've, watched, I've seen this movie like 25 times. I still don't know what is yeah. exactly is going he on He somehow there. knew she was coming. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like maybe Why because it isn't it? fully 100% revealed what's going on. It's kind of like Royal accuses her of it when he's when later when Eli's climbing out the window. But right. like. As the viewer, you're kind of still in the dark a little bit as to like, well, what is exactly is going on here? And then it isn't yeah. like a hundred percent revealed until the private eye reveals all of her affairs. And I guess like you could read into it like, well, she probably was in contact with him and told him that she was coming. That's the only thing. You know, that makes the whole sense. thing's been going on the whole time. It's just like at that moment in the film. You're like, what is happening? Why is Owen Wilson in his underwear hiding in their closet? Now, I do also love when uh, Richie and Eli actually kind of hash it out a little bit. And they're just discussing the situation. (laughs) And uh, Eli's like, well, she's married. And she's your sister. (laughs) (laughs) But Richie, uh, quick to point out. Adopted. Yes. <laughs> so it's okay. Still frowned upon, though. Yeah, you're still going to have a hard time with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you kind of get into that. Um, it's kind of almost Woody Allen. Yeah. yeah. Not quite. Well, not that not bad. Is yeah. That'd be like if Royal and Margot oh, yeah. were dating. Oof. Yeah, which kind of gives you a whole. I mean, building a statue of Royal. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. I guess, like, I, especially in today's climate, it's just, like, how are people not even, like, more obsessed with this, like, Woody Allen thing? I mean, it is, like, the weirdest thing ever. I mean, I get that, like, some people are, and it's like, well, technically, I guess it's not illegal, yeah. so nobody can really do it. And the but- people that are obsessed with it, I'd be, we would just be on whatever side of the argument, because if you're obsessed with it, we'd just be like, all right, fine, just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, it's... It is bizarre. It is so strange. Yeah, it's icky. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, what, are you, what are we going to do about Yeah, exactly. It? So, moving on. So, yeah, I mean, the plot of this movie is not really important. Basically. <laughs> well, it could be, but. <laughs> well, you know, Royal eventually moves in. Right. The family is all under the impression that he has stomach cancer. He does he not. He slowly starts reconnecting with the the kids. I mean, it, yeah, pretty well, quickly with Richie. He gets in with Chaz's kids as kind of the method yeah. to get to Chaz. He's able to kind of surreptitiously form a re- relationship with his grandkids. Margot kind of seemingly indifferent, but not violently opposed like Chaz so it's kind of like she's kind of just around even though yeah. 
even though you know he confronts her about her having an affair with Eli Cash, but she kind of wants him to mind his own business. But in a weird way, you know, you have to wonder if maybe she appreciates it, appreciates that someone is paying attention and is, you know, parenting her in some yeah. way. Correct, like saying, like, "Hey, don't do this," <laughs> like. Because, I mean, it seems like You've these kids this- kind of, in a weird way, raised themselves. I mean, Ethelene was around and, and did her best, but she's never had, like, a father figure. So it's like, even if it's like, who is this guy to come in and say this now? But it's like, well, somebody's at least paying attention to what I'm doing. Somebody cares. <laughs> oh, poor Raleigh. <laughs> wow. Not getting any cred. <laughs> well, I mean, that's her husband. That's not yeah. her father. Although, the age discrepancy yeah. there disturbing right (laughs) um (laughs) oh that's dog's blood (laughs) yeah so there's obviously some conflict between henry sherman and uh royal because now royal's staying in the house henry is still kind of in the midst of this courtship of Ethelene, he's proposed marriage to her kind of seemingly out of nowhere. Big move right out of the gate. And she's kind of considering it, but she doesn't. she's also kind of scared. She admits that she hasn't slept with a man in like 20-something years. and He's like, whew. <laughs> this is going to be a time. Like I got to blow the cobwebs out of there. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, she's kind of, I think retreated into the safety of her shell you know she's kind of she has her kids and she has her little life of like bridge and she is not just sitting at home she works she's like a oh yeah urban anthropologist or something whatever that is right yeah like a made-up thing and yeah you know she's doing her thing and now all of a sudden you know there's this uh man in her life you know sniffing around right trying to get something going and inevitably royal and henry butt heads and there's obviously some subtle and not so subtle racism in some (laughs) just calls him coltrane (laughs) this kind of yeah it's kind of that hipster racism that i've been hearing a lot about oh you know the stuff like lena dunham is accused of but um yeah (laughs) which we can get into more at a (laughs) off mic right but um yeah, I mean, <laughs> off my. <laughs> well, I, yeah. some of my tirades should not be recorded. <laughs> but <laughs> I can't imagine, you know, these things coming back to haunt me ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and Henry is basically, I think he's suspicious of Royal, like right off the bat, but his suspicions are kind of confirmed when he sees Pagoda sneaking in fast food. Oh, and yeah. Royal's just housing it, even though he supposedly has stomach cancer. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been using um Dusty who was like a elevator attendant at the hotel he had been living at as like a fake doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. McClure, right, at Kobe General <laughs> or whatever. Yes, which is like a hospital that closed in the 70s, which I don't think is, you know, for some reason they would use that. Well, he probably if- was unaware. I mean, New York's a big place. That's true. <laughs> That kind of again, it kind of just fits the idea that everything that they are building their lives around, even their fake lies and stuff, are stuck in a different era. And uh, you know, eventually uh, Henry confronts Royal and reveals his whole thing to the rest of the Tenenbaums, and 
you know, he's thrown out on his ass again, and Pagoda <laughs> stabs him with a pocket knife, which... I don't get that. Well, he tells that story earlier to right. Uzi and Ari about how he Pagoda staved him by carrying him on his back to a doctor. And he was the one was that knifed ni- him? Yeah, he was knifed at a something in Calcutta. And <laughs> okay, so this is supposed to be that... He's doing it again. Right. Well, he's mad because Pagoda got thrown out, too. Yeah. Because... You know, he was like his, it was revealed that he was like his spy and he was helping him and everything. And so I remember like in the theater, like the part where Pagoda stabs him like on the sidewalk. I was like laughing hysterically (laughs) (laughs) to a theater of silence. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't really recall whether or not like the friends that I went with were really as into it as I was. Yeah, you never know how it's going to go for a Wes Anderson movie with watching it with various people normal right (laughs) people who aren't like cool the part in grand budapest uh hotel where the dude i think adrian brody just throws the cat out the window (laughs) and it's dead (laughs) (laughs) i was losing it i don't think everyone was well yeah i mean I get that like people love animals and love their pets and stuff, but I mean, Come on. I I feel like it's so cliche to hear people say the the thing about how they can deal with like violence and people and people violence, but like any time an animal is hurt in a movie or a TV show or something that they just can't deal with it and blow. It's like, well, it's fake. Just like when it's people, that's that's a good point. You fucking assholes. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, how ridiculous of a person do you have to be to be like, to act like if like a kid or, you know, if a kid is like murdered or like a woman is being beat up by a man or like murdered or something, it's like, oh, well, that's not a big deal. But then like someone shoots the dog and it's like, they just can't, they're, you know, they're freaking out. (laughs) Inconsolable. I'm triggered. It's like, oh, go fuck yourself. It's fake. (laughs) Triggered. Yeah, it's I don't just know. like that's all I hear now. Are people? I've heard that f- so many times. It's like you're not, they, and they always act like they're saying something that's so unique about them too. Well, like like no one's ever said that. It's like everybody says that now. <laughs> it's annoying. It's stupid. Shut up. Anyway, that'll do it for Royal Tenements. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we like you. <laughs> um, we're not here to say bad things about people. Just animals. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck them. No, I mean, anyway, so, yeah, I mean, even in this movie, a dog gets killed. Yeah, that's true. Wes Anderson loves... <laughs> Actually, potentially multiple dogs are being killed. Oh, well, yeah. As Royal the, is the taking Chaz's kids to dog fights. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is funny. Like, his montage of bonding with his grandchildren is, like, um, shoplifting, riding on the back of a garbage truck. <laughs> yeah, which... Running into oncoming traffic. <laughs> It's just like insane things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing like an open milk carton at a passing car. <laughs> oh, man. The that cab driver great. just gets out and shoots the kids. Oh, yeah. He used to bring back the two corpses to Chaz. It'd be really, uh, <laughs> be a whole different movie. Yeah, it's not too far from that, but it's not quite that dark. So, you know, obviously one of the defining moments of the film though is once uh royals being thrown out and 
uh, Chaz and Margot are kind of standing at the top of the steps, and then Chaz goes inside, and, and then Henry's standing there, and Royal tells Margot he's not your father, and she says, neither are you. Um, Richie kind of has his goodbye with Royal, and Royal's, like, basically telling Richie, like, hey, this near-death experience has <laughs> really taught me a lot. I think I've really changed because of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Richie's like, well, you weren't really dying. <laughs> And it's like, it's kind of this perfect way of like Royal remaining this insane narcissist, but also actually changing because of this ruse that he's pulled. Like it all started as like this uh, lie to kind of disrupt Henry's courtship of Ethelene and, and also maybe because he was above homeless. all get himself a place to live. Yeah. And also because he's homeless, but it actually may have done what he had set out to do unintentionally right because you know he his claim was he wanted to reconnect with the family and and reestablish his relationships with his children which i mean come on but he was you know Who wants to obviously under the guise of this false illness but like it actually happens and then now that he's being thrown out he's kind of like legitimately yeah. bummed because of the right reasons in a weird way right because he actually does now care about them and he's in the mix with them and you know he wants to be a part of their lives and now he you know his lies that he had told has kind of ruined everything so this is kind of putting something in richie's head about a near-death experience <laughs> <laughs> well no i mean oh that's that's because of the you know raleigh right. and richie enlist a private eye and they and he reveals all of these things that Margot has done secretly, and including all of her affairs. And, and being, Richie is just like, it's literally any dude in the world but me. Right. Which, I've been in those situations too. Yeah, I mean, I guess there was... Almost exclusively, really. One of the big influences of uh, for, this, uh, for this film was um, the director, the French director, Louis Malle. Or however you say it. No. And I guess he had a film. Always fun territory when we get into uh, pronouncing foreign, names. Foreign directors' names. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it was a film called The Fire Within, which I've oh, okay. never seen. I've but heard of that. He, uh, it's a, it's basically about a guy who ends up committing suicide at the end. But oh, he, sounds good. He spends time with his friends, leading up to it. To try to like convince him, I guess, to not do it, but then he just does it anyway. <laughs> and there's like a line where he says, "Not a great I, effort by the friend." There's there's a line when translated to English that literally says, "I'm going to kill myself tomorrow," which is borrowed for this. Oh, um, also a big influence was Orson Welles' 1942 film, The Magnificent Ambersons. But anyway, the scene almost feels out of nowhere how dark it is <laughs> yeah it's pretty brutal because the rest of the movie while the humor is very dark and there's a lot of as you point out during the montage with the kids a lot of kind of fucked up things happening it's all very sort of humorous so yeah it doesn't really feel as dark as this scene is which is just an elliot smith song playing i mean can you get much darker right um, yeah, and I mean, this kind of, uh, Richie's attempted suicide definitely, like, plunges the film into kind of a deeper reality that it wasn't really quite in because of the weird aesthetic of the film and just 
you know, the way the characters acted and talked and dressed and looked and the world they were living in and everything was kind of a little bit... The closet full of board games. It was very, like, Wes Anderson-y. Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, Richie's kind of really brutal suicide attempt really kind of throws a dark curtain over the whole thing. (laughs) But yet, for me, I mean, the scene really kind of... I don't know. It works for me though because it's kind of just it. It kind of. I think without it, it would feel maybe. I think it would still be a great film, obviously. But I think it kind of gives it that sense of like real. Adds another layer. Yeah, it kind of add. It kind of makes the characters seem like more realistic in a way. Like they're actually. Yep could die there's like stakes to this right and it does sort of act as a wake-up call for everyone else because the initial sort of wake-up moment is oh royal has cancer but then it's like oh no he doesn't everyone can kind of go back to their normal lives whatever those were and then this happens and it shakes everything back up (sighs) yeah and i think um everybody's reaction to it is kind of different um Chaz is kind of like over the top curious as to the reasons why and he wants to know if Richie wrote a note and all these things and kind of in a weird way like reveling in the darkness of it because of his own experiences with his wife dying and you know in a weird and like Margot kind of obvious she kind of knows that he's doing it because of her so she's kind of got this sense of guilt over it which you know is not right i mean you know no it's not like somebody else's fault yeah. but you know she's and obviously she would be like, truly sad over this anyway apart from uh their connection of brother to adopted sister it's also mentioned that when they were younger she would always pick him up at the bus whenever he was returning from i don't know tennis outings or whatever right yeah i mean and then, like, Raleigh kind of, know- for some reason, knows, too, because oh, yeah. he, 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 like, accuses her of, like, nearly killing your own brother or whatever, <laughs> right. which is weird that he would somehow know that that's why. Well, Richie's not the most subtle. <laughs> you know, and obviously, you know, Royal wants to rush in and get back in the mix because now he's working as an elevator attendant oh, with Dusty, yeah. and uh, he kind of misses him because Richie checks himself out. Now with his, you know, head shaved, which he also did when he slit his wrists and everything. And he he just goes back to the Tenenbaum house and gets in that tent. Yep. And, oh, there's Margo waiting for him. And oh, this is when they yeah. finally can make out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's kinda, all happening. It's kind of disappointing that you don't get, like, the full penetration. Because <laughs> I feel like that'd really be, like, symbolic. It's a passionate scene. Getting that monkey off your back, you know. <laughs> yeah, something. But yeah, they kind of like agree that they have to just remain secretly in love with each other because I guess they feel like... Well, I think that is a little bit more driven by her. Yeah, but I mean, I think they just kind of... Uh, I mean, regardless of the fact that it's not actual incest, I mean, I just think that maybe they... He understands it, it's maybe this can't much. happen. It's yeah. just too much. Right. Like, it, you know, maybe they have a future sometime in the like once they're <laughs> once they Evelyn is dead relocate know, yeah it's just like i just don't know if like the 
the fragile world of the Tenenbaums in this moment could handle them suddenly being a couple. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. And now, you know, excommunicated once again from the family is now the opportunity for Royal to kind of fully... Get his way back in there. Well, you know, he has to actually turn over a new leaf and he gives Ethelene the divorce. Now, everything that's led up to this point, uh, Richie has known that Eli has been struggling with some addiction <laughs> problems. And he, he makes an attempt to send him to rehab. Uh, Eli disappointed at the amount of people at his intervention. <laughs> uh, but escapes the attempt at the intervention and shows back up in the film at this point when Evelyn and whatever his name is, Henry, Henry are going to get married. Yeah, kind of like how a lot of like... Shakespeare plays and stuff that are oh, comedies yeah. end in like a big ceremony, like a wedding or something. This kind of all builds toward this wedding because now, like, you know, Royal's kind of been let back into the family in a sense. I mean, obviously, now he's divorced from Ethelene and she's going to remarry, but Royal is allowed to attend the wedding and everyone else is there. It seems kind of odd, though, that if Eli ducked out of the intervention that they would invite him to the wedding (laughs) it seems like a recipe for disaster which is what happens but he's in rough shape i don't know if it's mescaline and heroin and what all's going on but well something trippy seems to be going on he's got face pain all over him yeah that's like one of those fun movie details because if you go way way back to the beginning when they're playing that uh war game thing with the bb guns oh yeah and Royal shoots Chaz in the hand with the BB. Uh, there are no teams. You can kind of, it's not focused on, but in, like Eli's there as a kid and he has the same face paint on. <laughs> right. So he's repainted his face, I guess is like, because it plays into like his weird obsession with his time with the Tenenbaum family, I guess. I don't know, but obviously this face paint means something. <laughs> he's painted his face to come to the wedding so he's driving like a maniac straight towards the ceremony or the house i guess yeah and uh i don't know is it royal that first uh sees this happening from uzi and ari are standing with the dog buckley their little beagle uh on the outside of the house and eli loses control of the car and royal has to save uzi and ari from the car crash but poor buckley Buckley not so lucky yeah People, I can't even listen to this podcast. I could listen to a, I could listen to a podcast about cuckolding incest, but when you talk about a dead dog, yeah, I just we're can't even handle the line. it. <laughs> um, and this causes Chaz to freak out. Well, rightfully so. He His chases Eli all killed. around now because Chaz has been living with this. Uh, we didn't really touch on it specifically, but. He obviously has some sort of disorder where he has this obsessive compulsive about like being safe. Yeah. Um because of his wife dying in a plane crash obviously. Right. And uh this causes him to just completely blow up. Yeah, and so you know, they run around and have kind of a weird fight that involves going over a stone wall into the neighbor's backyard and everything and <sighs> it's kind of like a wake up call moment for Chaz too because at some point, he realizes how insane he's being. They knocked the priest over, and he fell down the stairs. And Richie takes an elbow to the eye when he's trying to, like, you know, pull them apart or whatever. And you know, obviously, Eli did a terrible thing, but now they've seemingly made it worse by 
running through the house and knocking everyone over and doing all this stuff. And he's kind of just like realizing that he's like lost control. And, you know, Eli finally decides that he needs to get help. And, and Chaz kind of feels the same way. It kind of leads to like a really touching moment between Royal and Chaz when Chaz just kind of finally says to him, like, I've had a really rough year and he's all choked up. Uh huh. And he calls him dad and everything. It's like a really sweet moment, kind of hur- really has. Hur- hurriedly done in, in a film like this. It's kind of like blink and you might miss it, but there's like kind of this these touching moments between some of the characters. Yeah, and I mean, everything kind of uh, wraps up nicely for everybody at that point. I mean, Henry and Ethelene end up getting married the next day. Raleigh has his bizarro study subject Dudley (laughs) who he's you know touring around with now because he's got this book about him and you know Dudley is kind of just the me of the movie (laughs) just saying ridiculous things maybe there could be a whole episode just dedicated to what's going on with Dudley (laughs) (laughs) was like clearly some like made up right thing that's wrong with him or whatever but and Chaz now has kind of you know reconnected with his father who's kind of redeemed in the end i mean yeah he's he's obviously you know a rapscallion or whatever you want to say <laughs> but i mean you know and he's obvious he's made mistakes but um he's trying to make good yeah we don't really get like too much of an epilogue of where this all goes richie and margo right. we don't really even know if margo and raleigh are remaining married at that point i mean it's kind of just up in the air that's true but um, Raleigh's very forgiving if he's going to stay married. Now, on the other hand, it is Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> yeah, this is like, what a time. Right. Gwyneth Paltrow, 2001. I mean, come on. Good night. But like, the thing, the thing that kind of confuses me, like just kind of rereading through like the plot online and kind of reading people's takes on different things or whatever. And I saw this brought up like a few times where it was like, you know, at the end of the film, we kind of jump ahead in time a little bit, and we show, like, Royal on the back of the garbage truck again with Uzi and Ari, but now this time Chaz is with him, and he's enjoying himself. And then Alec Baldwin, who's been our narrator at various points, including the beginning and the end of the film and other times in between, he kind of comes back in, and now he's saying that Chaz is the only one to be with his father when he has a heart attack and dies. So, like, Royal dies at the end of the film. Right. And but it's supposed to be some time in the future post uh, Henry and Ethelene's marriage. Now online, I kept seeing like year. It would say like years in the future, or whatever. But I don't feel like it. Doesn't seem like that much time has passed because Uzi and Ari are look the same. Oh yeah, at the funeral. So like I don't know. It True. kind of it's kind of a weird. Which I do love that part too, where they're just firing those like BB guns, right, in the salute style. <laughs> I mean, props to Royal for, like, a killer funeral. Yeah. At dusk, <laughs> light rain, no one says a word. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, great engraving on his tomb. What is it? <laughs> Died tragically rescuing his family from a sunken battleship oh. <laughs> or something like that. Um, but, I don't know, it kind of... It, it, I don't really, I honestly don't feel like the intention here is to be sad because I think it's supposed to be happy, like that Royal's reconnected and everybody's kind of 
close this old wound and maybe everyone can kind of move on with their lives and like you know as i said various sources online were kind of putting this at like years in the future but because of the kids looking the same it seems like it's not so it's like i don't know i think unintentionally there's some it feels sadder at the end because you're like i think he finally repaired everything and now it seems like he's dying like immediately yeah that's what it kind of feels like when you just watch it now i don't know what the actual intention is maybe they were just like well we don't want to have to recast these kids for two seconds right just to do something kind of funny here with these bb guns yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of unclear to me how much time is supposed to go by before. I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, I think that'll probably wrap it up. I mean, I would say we. There's a lot to be said. Got I mean, in there. It's a funny movie. Um, it's kind of. I think like with Wes Anderson, it's like you're either in or in or you're out. Yeah, you know. And I can only really deal with people who are in. I can't. <laughs> I cannot. It's like a deal breaker for I me. I do get annoyed uh, at the notion that all his movies are the same. Or oh, come on. Or, or I, I, I hear things like, "Oh, he, he's trying too hard to be quirky." Like criticisms like that. Well, here's the thing. I feel he's like he's certainly an auteur. I mean, yeah. Well, I feel like he's one of the few. Right. There's barely any now yep. who are actually true auteurs when it comes to like us. Like what you know, when you're watching a Wes Anderson movie, you know it's a Wes Anderson movie. Yes. And like, I think some people because we're brought up in this weird world of like a million Marvel movies and a million sequels and all these franchises and everything kind of looks the same. Where that's bad. In reality, I feel like that's good. It's like you should know, like directors should have like a visual style. His movies are always interesting, always fun, always funny. There's always multiple layers at play. And And it's always like an interesting way to tell a story, uh, interesting ways to present characters that is just like different from anything else. Yeah, I mean... I don't know if you honestly like with Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums. It's like if you don't think that those are like funny, great scripts, I I I don't know what I, I just don't know what you could possibly be looking for. <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> All right, well I think we uh, covered everything possible. Yeah, well probably not, but oh. <laughs> you know what 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 else do you want? From well, us? we went on at length. <laughs> All right, well. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, make sure you're following on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Uh, subscribe to the show. Uh, keep spreading the word. Oh, yeah. Help us out with that. It's been picking up lately. I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, but. Sometimes it feels like it is, but then, like. For every one we gain, we lose three. <laughs> <laughs> it's one step forward, two steps back, oh, as yeah. always. Right. Um, Life is hard. Yeah, I mean, we're rapidly approaching the end of 2017, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to end the year strong. Yeah, we're going to shoot for it. And, uh, you know, if you put in a listener request and we haven't got to it yet, just hold tight. It's coming. Yeah. (laughs) They're coming. We're going to get through. At our own pace. (laughs) All right. Uh, We'll see you next time. Yep.
72 unforced errors for Richie Tenenbaum. He's playing the worst tennis of his life. What's he feeling right now, Tex Hayward? I don't know, Jim. There's obviously something wrong with him. He's taken off his shoes and one of his socks, and actually, I think he's crying. I think you're right. Who's he looking at in the friends box, Tex? That's his sister, Margo, and her new husband, Raleigh Sinclair. They were just married yesterday, Jim. Oh, yes. anything like this. Neither have I. Strange day out here at Windswept Fields. 